The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Let's turn to God's Word, pick up in Matthew 11, um, and we will be looking at the full chapter of Matthew 11 here. Um, Here's what we're going to do. Like, like we've been doing lately, I will be reading this passage as we look through it. And so um, we're not going to read it up front, but I will, uh, I'll lead us, lead us into our passage uh, by asking for God's help. Father, as we look at this passage uh, about Jesus and his good authority in our lives, um, we just take a moment and pause before you. We don't... Uh, we don't take any of this for granted, God. We are excited about what you're doing among us. Um, we are excited about your mission advancing here in Manchester. And Father, we're in awe that you would be so kind as to use us. So Father, as we talk about deacons and installing deacons, God, would you give us a sense of joy that you are on the move? And so Father, as we look at this passage where Jesus is on the move in our hearts, would we Submit to him, and Father, as we submit to his good authority, would we rest in him? So, Father, we take this moment and we set it aside for you, that we would hear from you. So speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I don't know what high school was like for you guys, but for me, I had an authority issue in high school. Um, I wasn't, like, ultra-rebellious, but what I would do is we had school uniforms, and um, I hated school uniforms, and so I found every loophole in the school uniform, and I worked around it. So uh, we had to wear khaki pants and a white or sky blue collared shirt, and so there was no rules against suspenders or tinted glasses or Looney Tunes ties or gigantic, ridiculous leather shoes. Um, so I would find all the ways around it, <laughs> and I just looked ridiculous, right? I had this, like, Looney Tunes tie. I mean, re- I mean who wears suspenders in high school? Like, I sewed the buttons in my pants to wear suspenders at school. <laughs> right, I, I just, I was dedicated to kind of, like, I was always, like, uh, give, re- giving it to the man. And <laughs> the funny thing is, now now that I'm a pastor, like, I am the man, right? Like, <laughs> but... I had this issue with authority, right? We all kind of had these dynamics of how we think about authority. I mean, we're in New Hampshire, for crying out loud, you know, live free or die. Uh, <laughs> for the free staters among us. Um, so, sorry, I, well, I got this clip here. That's what's bothering me. But uh, the, the definition of authority, the, the power or right to give orders and make decisions and enforce obedience, right? So you have this with parents, right? They can set bedtimes, you know, screen times, uh, punishments, uh, chores, like parents, like they're like, you know, they're, they're many dictators in their house, right? You just, every, you, you have to submit to your parents, right? You have this with your bosses or your supervisors, right? Hopefully they're not dictators, but they, they set uh, goals and measurements and they can tell you uh, when to show up for work. Um, have this with teachers in school, right? They can tell you when to submit assignments, what the punishments are for not submitting assignments on time. With, with police and correction officers, right, they can set, here's what the probation looks like, here's what uh, the plan forward with punishments look like. Um, so we, we have these dynamics of authority in our lives, right? <laughs> this is just kind of a normal part of how we, we live. And what we're doing now is we're starting this series. Can we go to the, the opening slide here? This is what we're doing is, nope, nope, up, up, up. 
There we go. Good authority. We're looking at Matthew 11 through 16. Not all of that this morning, but that's the next series. This kind of series in Matthew as we're looking through is the next five or six chapters. We're looking at this section in Matthew that really lays out Jesus' authority as a whole for us. What is it? What does it look like for Jesus? Because he's claimed up to this point to be the King, and he's shown us his power. And now, and as we're kind of tracking through the book of Matthew, we don't only really have a wise king and a powerful king, but we get to know this king and his authority and what it means for our lives. Right? So that's what we're looking at in the next five or six verses, five or six chapters. And what we're looking at this morning, we're just looking, we're looking strictly at Matthew 11 and kind of just leading out up front. Here we have Jesus, who's the wise king and a good king, but he's our savior. Right? When we talk about Jesus, we're not just talking about a king who's got a political campaign. He's our savior. Saves us from, we just sang about it, saves us from our death and sin. And by his resurrection, saves us from those things having a claim on us. And now we live in the life of his goodness, right? We live in him. We find life in him. When we talk about Jesus, we talk about him as our savior, but also our Lord, right? He has claims that make, he makes upon us. What does it mean for Jesus to make a claim upon us? But he has power over all things, and he can tell us what to do, and he can tell us where to go. And so this whole chapter is leading up to, let's look at, uh, just real quick, the, the final verse in the chapter, one of the final verses, uh, verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So just so you know, this is where we're going, right? And this whole chapter, where we're going is we're going to land on this verse where Jesus expresses his good authority by commanding us to come to him and find rest. Like, this is not exactly the sort of king and the way you experience authority, right? When, when, I, when I'm doing all those ridiculous things in high school, it's because I don't believe that the authority and power is good, and I'm trying to stick it to him. Here, Jesus, his command, his authority, he says, come to me. And so that's where we're going. We're going to land there at that point, because Jesus, in this whole chapter, is leading us through this dynamic of be it, to be at rest in him, or to not be in rest in it, uh, outside of him, right? So basically what we're looking at through this whole passage is what does it mean to be outside of him and to have no rest because he tells us to come and get true rest in him. So we're going to look at the first 24 verses. So we're going to kind of gather them all together in one big group and say we are restless outside his good authority, right? We're restless outside of his good authority, and then we're going to look at the last five verses and say we're only at rest in him. Right, so that's how we're going to be looking at this because Jesus and his good authority, right, the way he expresses it, I don't know how you guys experience the word authority, but it has like a negative connotation to me, kind of like, Ugh. the way Jesus invites us into himself says, if you don't have my authority, you don't have rest. So we're going to be looking at the first 24 verses, restless outside of his good authority so that we can experience the blessing of his true rest and his authority. So, Let's look at verse 2 through 6, right? We're going to look at chapter 11, verses 2 through 6. Now, this is just after Jesus had done all his miracles and healed people and had this huge, uh, his, this teaching about his authority. All right, and then he goes on to say, Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
I think what we're seeing here in this first section is that Jesus, right, the reason that we're restless outside of his authority is because we have real questions, right? Maybe that's a bit of an odd phrase for you, but to think about it like this, right? John the Baptist, he's not quite, he's not a Christian at this point, right? He's looking to Jesus. He's looking at, like, Jesus, I think you're the one, but I'm just not sure where, like, what do I do with all these questions, right? Which is really weird, like, if you think about it, like, remember in, in Matthew 3, we saw John the Baptist. He's the one who's like, he's the, he's the headline preacher of the day. <laughs> and he's the one that says, here's the Messiah. This is Jesus. He's the one. He's the one that God's been sending, right? And he's the one. Right? I, if you just, you can flip there if you want. But Matthew 3, right? At the very end of Matthew 3, what happens, right? Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, that's John, consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming down to rest on him, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I mean, you could not get a more direct answer from God for who is this guy, right? John I mean, he saw the skies ripped open, and he saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus, and he heard a voice from heaven. This is my son. Right, we, many of us live our lives saying, God, I just want to hear from you. <laughs> I just want to hear. Tell me what is the answer. What's the meaning of life? What am I here for? God, just tell me. Right? I don't know if you've ever felt that, but man, I've felt it. I've had coworkers who said, look, I believe in Jesus if God just said it from the heavens. John, it should encourage us, right? The reason I hold this up, it should encourage us that here's John, who's had all those things happen, right? He's Jesus' cousin. He has every reason to have to believe in Jesus because he's seen everything. And he still has doubts, right? Pick that up in verse three. Are you the one? Right? He's, he's had everything provided for him. And yet he still, he still has these doubts. Are you, are you the one? I don't know as a Christian, what, what your experience has been up to this point. But you know that doubts are okay. Just, just a thought. It's okay to have questions because you see what Jesus does with these questions is he gives us, he responds, but he doesn't leave us with our questions. So what does Jesus do? He says, right, verse four, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you see, what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. He's actually, what he's doing here is Jesus picking up from Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. So if Isaiah 35, let's throw this up there. Isaiah 35, typically people focus on 5 and 6, but if you pay attention to verse 4, I think it, it gives a little bit of a sweet answer from Jesus. Say to those who have an anxious heart. Do you think John's got an anxious heart at this point? He's not quite sure. Jesus, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold your God. He will come and save you. First of all, you realize Isaiah is talking about God coming, and then Jesus applies that to himself. I'm God coming, is what he's implying. The eyes of the blind have, shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. They shall, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And then so Isaiah 61, 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me. So this is later in Isaiah where he's talking about the servant of, G- of God who's going to come. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to the blind uh, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to those who are bound. All right, that's all we've seen Jesus doing up in this point in Matthew. Jesus is saying, I am your God who is coming to save you. And look at what I've done. I've fulfilled scripture, but not just to kind of like check the box. I've fulfilled scripture in my people's lives. So one thing to think about, if you've got doubts and questions, who's Jesus, what has he done? Actually, one of the things you can do is show up and hang out with God's people to see what he has done, that he's faithful and true, right? That's what Jesus does, right? He says, look, hear and see. Jesus points to this whole you know, catalog of people that he's helped and saved and renewed and restored, right? <laughs> right? If you've got questions here at King's Cross, like, frankly, you don't need to be going introspective. What's wrong with me? The best thing you can do is to turn your eyes outward. God, what is he, what is he doing in the people around me? Because you guys are Jesus' walking business card. You know that? <laughs> when Jesus says, I'm the Savior, and I fulfill my promises, and then he hands out business cards through you and says, look at what I've done in this person's life. That's how Jesus, right? He doesn't want to leave us in our questions. Questions are fine. Real questions are good. But he doesn't leave us there. All right, let's pick up verse 7, right? We are restless outside of him, outside his good authority, because we have disappointed expectations. Verses 7 through 19. And he went away. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaking in the wind. That would have been like a proverbial phrase at the time, like a great speaker. When then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses, right? What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before me. And then, true I say, sorry, true I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days of John, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who it has come. He who has ears, let him hear. So what Jesus has been saying up to this point, he's been saying, look, everybody in all this part of the Bible up to this point, they've all been pointing forward to Jesus. They've been pointing to him. They've, they've been drawing the outline of who he is. And now with John, the final kind of outlines are laid out and Jesus steps into the picture and colors it in, so to speak. You know what I mean? So Jesus is pointing to John the Baptist because everybody's all raving about him. And he's saying like, uh, what did you go out there to see, right? Like you went out to hear from the prophet and what did you hear? Like he's saying the, the, the God's, God's man, God's king is coming. Um, and he kind of is poking at people, right? He's like, well, what, you know, would you go out to hear Steve Cook or the CEO of, of Apple? Would you go hear him on the Franconia notch? <laughs> like, that's not where you would go to hear Steve Cook talk. Like, you go out there to hear somebody who knows what he's talking about, but kind of disappointed what you heard, right? It wasn't quite what you were expecting. You, you went out there 
to hear about God's man, his messenger ahead of him, it seems like they were a little disappointed because that's what Jesus goes on to say, right? Verse 16. But to what I shall, but what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So I know it's kind of a bit confusing to kind of work through, okay, Jesus, what's going on here with all these images? The collateral of this is basically to say, you expected one thing and you got another, right? So in this image that Jesus is using, like, we played the flute for you, I think what he's saying is the, the, the flute player is Jesus, we sang a dirge. That's John, right? Because he came sackcloth and ashes, dirge. Jesus came joyfully in the king in the in the kingdom, right? We're gonna eat and drink and celebrate what God's doing. And the crowds, they're indifferent. Like, okay, that's not what we were expecting, <laughs> right? Like we were expecting to uh, not be as so harsh as John, not be so happy as Jesus. <laughs> we were expecting one thing and we got another. Right, so we're just going to kind of sit back and call it, fold our arms and be kind of like, meh. You know what I mean? Like, okay, that's not what we were expecting. We wanted the kingdom of God to come with political power and force, kick these Romans out here, get the temple all beautified and set up. All right, that's the same with us. Our expectation to Jesus is, Jesus, I, I want to follow you, but repentance seems so hard because then I have to give up something that's really like, it's uh, kind of like my pet sin. Oh, but Jesus, I, I, I want to follow you, but like, won't you just give me this one, like a spouse, a house, a job, whatever it is. Like, so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, like, look, I, I'm not your plaything, right? <laughs> like, I don't, I, don't live, I don't play by your rules. I'm going to disappoint your expectations. That's one of the best things that God can do for you. Did you know that? One of the best things that God can do for you is disappoint your expectations. Not because your expectations are too high for God, but your expectations are too low. Like, oh God, if you're, if you're real, you're going to play by my rules and give me the stuff that I want. Right? Because you realize what, you, what you're doing is you're going to be always restless, yearning for the next thing to be satisfied. God, won't you just give me? God, won't I just have? God, right, you realize when Jesus gives the Lord's prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, even in financial hardship, even in disappointing relationships, even in jobs that are not what I want, even in family situations that aren't playing out the way I want them to, right? Jesus and his fulfillment of his plans for you will not let you just have this like substitute Jesus that kind of fills in, you know, like a genie Jesus where you just kind of say, Jesus, Phil, I claim this promise and won't you give it to me? Because he's going to come in a way that's going to be different. He's going to save you and help you in a way that's going to be different. All right, let's pick up in verse 20. We are restless outside of his good authority because we have indifferent hearts. Just some of those hard passages where you have to read it and you just say, okay, Jesus, you're, you don't play by my rules because this is not a great PR move. When he be, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for the mighty, if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. 
But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and sight on them for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down to Hades? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sidon, Sodom, it would have been it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Right. Just to just to connect this for you, all of these miracles that we just read about in chapter ten, and all of Jesus' miraculous teaching and healing all up in the chapters leading up to this, had been done in these towns, right? They, they saw and they lived with Jesus, right? Capernaum, like you can still go to the foundations of Capernaum today. I guess this little town, like on the outskirts of the, of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus is calling them out saying, this is my home base, y'all. Like this is my home base where I was doing my deeds and I was teaching and they didn't even believe in me. Like they were indifferent. They were like, this is great. We love the gifts, okay with the giver. I just want the stuff, right? They were indifferent. There was, there's a sense in which familiarity uh, breeds contempt, right? They had seen enough of God's work where they were receiving the gifts, but they were calcified. They'd hardened over to God himself. Right? You, you can come to church every Sunday. And you can be a part of missional communities every week. You can kind of go through the routines, get people to pray for you, get good songs. That was good. You can be calcified over to God himself. Right? There's a sense in which God is saying, like, no, 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 don't rest in my gifts. I want to give them to you. I'm a good father. I want to. But I want you to have me. Right? Because that's where this restlessness is going to land us. We either have God or we don't. And that's the dividing line that Jesus is laying out here. He's laying out, you either have me or you have nothing at all. And without him, we don't have rest. But here's the hope, right? This isn't just to kind of whack us and say, look at how you, all you people who think you're religious for coming to church or all that stuff. This is to say, no, no, it's to check our hearts and say, no, no, we want, we want more of God himself because that's what he offers us, right? Because Jesus is now going to turn, to turn the page. He's now going to turn the corner and he's going to begin to speak to, okay, what does it mean to rest and to, under good authority? Because up to this point, the authority, have you noticed this? The authority has been ourself, right? The questions, I get to determine if the questions are answered or not. Uh, the disappointments, I get to determine if it's right or not. <laughs> the, ex- the indifference, right? I get to determine if it's effective or not. Right, that's, what we've been, that's what Jesus has been poking at the whole time. But now he's going to turn the corner and say, okay, no, 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 I want you to be at rest, but you can't be at rest in yourself. So we're going to pick up here verse 25. I'm going to look at we only rest inside his good authority. Right? That's, that's where we want to be. We only rest inside his good authority. And why do we only rest in his good authority? The first reason, in this, Jesus is going to not go at things the way you expect him to because he worships the Father. He worships his sovereign father. Is that what you would have expected Jesus to say? <laughs> That's not what I would have expected Jesus in terms of addressing how do we find rest. The first thing he goes after is saying, you can find rest in me because I worship a sovereign, my sovereign father. Verse 25, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them 
to the little children. Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. Do you see that right leading out of the gate? I thank you, Father. That's why I'm saying this is worship, because he's not only saying, God, you've done this, but I thank you. And just so you know, this is the first time in all the gospel where we see Jesus directly responding to God. He's talked about the Father. He's invited you into the Father's life. He's invited you into the Father's care. He's told you, this is what it means to be my disciple, somebody who lives in the joy of a happy father who's redeemed uh, dirtbags like us <laughs> and made his sons and daughters of the living God. That's what it means. But now we see Jesus in our spiritual life where he says, Father, I thank you that you don't play by their rules. You don't play by the rules of people who would twist you and pervert you. You play by your own rules. And you invite people in, right? You see that, right? For, verse 26, Father, for such is your gracious will to do what? To reveal it to little children. You and me, right? People who don't have their lives together, right? You think about little children. Uh, my little Silas, who didn't know that daylight saving time happened today and woke up at 5.30 rather than 7.30 like I was hoping, <laughs> Right? Yeah, me and Britt on the same page here, <laughs> right? Little children have nothing going for them. Those, are, you and me, that's how the, the Father reveals himself. Not to people who've got it going together with high degrees and all that stuff. Not that God can't use those people. But he says, you know what? If you don't have anything going for you, those are the people I want. And Jesus sees that. He doesn't just say that's true. <laughs> right? He sees that and he worships the Father. It, does this amaze you? At the heart of your faith is a worshiping, tender, good king. He's a king who's tender and good and gracious and loving, but he is a worshiper at heart. I don't know if you ever thought of it. This blew my mind this week because I'm thinking about this. Jesus is a worshiper. He's a worshiping king, right? We tend to think of like, I want a king who's got a staff and he sits on a throne. He's very kind of like stoic, like kind of like a mixture between, you know, like um, Captain Kirk and Spock, you know, like wise and kind of like, you know, not emotionally driven, but like he, you know, he takes action. <laughs> Is that a reference that anybody gets? Okay, Star Trek, original, first three seasons. There's only three. Okay. That is what we expect. But Jesus, he says, things are not going the way we'd planned. Things are not going the way I would like them to go. And Father, I praise you. Guys, we get, like, you realize what's been going on. He's been rejected by his hometown. He's been rejected by his family. He's being rejected by the, the authorities, right? In the next chapter, they're going to start planning his murder, right? He, he's had crowds following him and so few people responding to him. Things have not been going the way he plans. And yet he looks at that and he says, Father, I praise you. Father, I love what you're doing. Guys, we have friends in our lives that disown us, who don't respond to our text messages, who say nasty things on our Facebook page, who maybe leave the church, who don't talk to us anymore, and we go, oh no, <laughs> my life's falling apart. <laughs> we did, we, the negative things happen, and if the world is falling in on us, here's Jesus saying, Father, I, I praise you. Father, both hands lifted high. I love you, Father, for what you're doing. And you know why that gives us confidence and it can help us rest? Because his emotional life is not yanked around by yours. His emotional life is not yanked around by what's going on in your mind. I, but between Michelle and I, I'm the emotionally unstable one. <laughs> right? Nobody would, that would not be a surprise to anybody. Right? 
But our marriage is stable, not because of Michelle's emotional stability and my instability, but because Jesus is faithful to his promises and he's not yanked around by my instability. Right? In your life, today or tomorrow, your emotional state could change. Today you're happy, tomorrow you're sad, the next day you're frustrated and angry. Jesus looks at you and he says, my father, your plan is being revealed. They're getting to know you and I love what you're doing in their lives, right? His love for you is not yanked around by your emotional state, which gives us rest. Like, okay, Jesus, I can hang out with you. I can rest under this authority that's not yanked around by who I am. Right, his, his worship centers us. And by the way, if you're, if you're struggling with like a sense of like, emo, like spiritual numbness or spiritual instability, right, this should give you some rest as well. Like, okay, Jesus, I need to look at who you are and who you're worshiping and not all the internal junk, right? If you try to analyze the internal junk of your life, you're just going to be going through the trash heap, right? But if you look at who Jesus is and what he's, who he's worshiping, right? Remember, he's worshiping the Father. We're going to look at that next. He's worshiping the Father. Look at who Jesus is worshiping, not at the internal junk. All right, let's pick up verse 26, right? 27. He reveals, we can rest inside his good authority because he reveals his loving Father. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So this is like, if you ever kind of like read a book about like kind of the Gospels and how they're put together, one of the things that uh, is always talked about is how this is basically the only point in the book of Matthew that kind of like Venn diagrams with the Gospel of John. Have you ever read Matthew and you're like, well, like, it's like all these like Old Testament stuff and promises and stuff very different. And then you read the book of John, you're like, it seems kind of like a different person in some ways. Like it's talking about like just events that aren't recorded in the book of Matthew, right? The reason is that John, I, I think what happened is John saw this uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I said, okay, these present one picture of the Savior who fulfills his promises and come and seek and saves the lost. And then he responds to that by saying, okay, here's a part of Jesus' life that we need to make sure that we hold up. But so Jesus in the, in the gospel of John he talks a lot about the Father, about what the Father's doing. If you ever read through the, I just encourage you this week, pick up the Gospel of John and read through the Gospel of John, and you will see that there are over almost a hundred times where God the Father is doing stuff in the Gospel of John, right? Like verbs, he's giving, seeking, saving, helping. Like those are like the main four, like four things that he's doing. He's giving, he's seeking out, he's saving people, he's giving things. That's the picture of the father in the gospel of John. He's a super generous, he's the most overflowing, generous person in the entire universe. He loves to give to people. He loves and loves and loves and gives and gives and gives. And so when Matthew picks up on this, it's the same picture, right? All things have been handed over, me, over to me by my father. What? The father in heaven gives all things. He says, I'm going to create everything and then son, all yours. He gives it all to you. He gives it all to you. And no one knows a son except a father. Right? So not only is he giving things to Jesus, but he's giving a people to Jesus. That's you and me. Anybody who would want to trust in Jesus, 
That's the person that God the Father is giving to Jesus to be his son or daughter. He's saying, I, I want them. I, I want them to be mine. Which also means that everything in our lives, when you see the sunrise, a beautiful moon, the snow, as it looks beautiful outside, all those things exist because the Father loves to give things to the Son. He wants to give beautiful things to him. Which means that you and I, we get the benefit of this love triangle between them, right? He's giving things to the Son, and he wants to give us. He wants us to know the Father, right? That I think the payoff of this and seeing this dynamic, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him is that when you're invited into Jesus, you're not just invited into a servile, yes sir, relationship. You're invited into this infinite circle of love in the Trinity. Did you ever thought about that? The Christian life is about being invited into the life of the Trinity itself. You're invited into the creator and sustainer and redeemer of all things. And he wants you to sit right in the middle, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, get to know them. <laughs> That's an amazing thing. Right? Christianity is not primarily about do's and don'ts. Right? It's not primarily about get your act together, you silly people who don't know what you're doing. Right? We are silly people who don't know what we're doing, but the way that we respond to God is we are invited into his life. We're invited into who he is. I think this gives us rest because it makes our lives primarily about who God is and what he's done rather than I get our acts together, right? Because that's just where Jesus goes, right? He says, you don't have your act together, <laughs> right? That's where he goes next. So verse 28, we only rest inside his good authority because he welcomes the weak with his father. Again, this is where we started out. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't this the kind of authority that we all want to enjoy? We want rest, right? The reason we try to get our politics all in line is because we want things to be at rest. The reason we try to get the right job is because we want our finances in rest. The reason we try to get the right spouse is we want our personal lives all at rest. Those things are never going to happen. Like we can't promise that. But Jesus says, no, with me, being my family, in my kingdom, there's rest. Because you're not going to, all your questions, they're not going to always get solved. right? All your disappointments, they're not going to get resolved. All of the things that you're indifferent about and the kind of spiritual lethargy that we all feel, right? it's not always going to go away. But Jesus offers, what, he, what does he offer? Verse 28, notice, what's the pronoun? Come to me. Come to me. That's why as a church, we are always holding up Jesus, not, not Pastor Jacob, not our new deacons, nobody else, not great songs, Jesus. I, I just want you to know, I will always disappoint you. Jesus will always exceed he will always satisfy. 
He will always give you rest. Right? Whenever you text or call me and I don't respond, <laughs> Jesus will respond. <laughs> Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Is that your life this week? Is it hard? Is it just hard to be a Christian for the next seven days? Like, Jesus, like, just throw me a bone here. Like, I'm just trying to get through this life. <laughs> I will give you rest, he says. And then he says this weird phrase, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Right? He wants you to grow. He wants you to change. He wants you to, to make a difference. But the way he does it, he is not the burden. He takes the burden from you. This anxiety of, am I doing enough? Have I done it right? Have I, am I getting it together? Am I going to, you know, no, no, Jesus takes that. Imagine this huge yoke that rests on Jesus. And just like I would, like, you know, like if my boys are piling on top of me and little Silas is right here, like I take their weight, you know, I kind of like put my fingers on him to make him feel like he's got something, right? (laughs) That's Jesus' picture here. He takes the weight of all of your sin, all the obedience that you do owe God. (laughs) And he says, I've done it, and now you're going to walk under me. And now you're going to have the strength through me. The thing that he commands, he gives come to me. Even that power to come to him, it's given to you by the command. (laughs) He commands and he gives what he commands. So when Jesus says over the whole world, come to me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He gives what he commands. He wants people to come to him. He is inviting you to rest under his authority. Why? Because he wants you to be at rest He says, verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you want a lightness of life? Do you want a lightness of heart? Do you want peace that's not yanked around by your emotional state? Do you want peace that's not controlled by your expectations? Do you want peace that's not determined by what you think is important and what's not? We all want that kind of peace. And Jesus offers it in himself. We rest in Jesus' good authority. Let's pray. Father, as we look at Jesus, we want what he has. Father, we want to know you because Jesus wants us to know you so that we can rest like he rests. And so, Father, I pray now as we we look to Jesus that we would be at rest and his good authority in our lives. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.